Welcome to a brand new episode of Talking Rivals, where we discuss everything related to the best rivalry in all of baseball and sports. Uh, um, I am Patrick, your co-host, covering everything Red Sox. And this is Chris, my co-host, covering everything Yankees. And How you doing, today, everybody? how's it going, Chris? Good. Hanging in, man. One day at a time. Yeah. And today we have a special guest uh, on for us, John, from twinstrivia.com, covering everything Minnesota Twins, historically related, and up to the present day. How are you, John? I'm excellent, thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those Minnesota snowbirds, so uh, I'm down in Florida right now. Oh, Okay. Very yeah, I, I'm up in up western New York, and we're getting about ten to twenty inches today. So, yeah, we had. Uh, I didn't expect anything down here except some rain and some wind, but we ended up getting uh, about five tornadoes in the area here. But uh, oh, wow. did quite a bit of damage down in the Fort Myers area as far as folks that lived in some mobile homes and so forth. But fortunately for us here, we're uh, we're in pretty good shape. Good. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll start with just the obvious questions. What 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 drew you to baseball to start? You know, give us kind of your introduction to what drew you to baseball in general and the Twins uh, specifically, and up to the present day. Just a little history to introduce you to our to our listeners. All righty. Well. Uh, you know, I've been following baseball for a long time. I started following the base, following baseball uh, back in about 57. That was when I started collecting some baseball cards. And, uh, you know, it, it was at that point that I, you know, you know, maybe this is the wrong place to say it, but it was at that point that I started to dislike the Yankees. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't you got have a, a big... You got, you got one out of us. <laughs> We, you know, we um, didn't have a baseball team. The closest team we had was the Milwaukee Braves. And so I'd listen to their games on a transistor radio and uh, really enjoyed following baseball. And then uh, when the 57 Braves beat beat the Yankees in the World Series, that was a real highlight for me. Um, You know, back then... You know, I was in grade school, and we they used to bring in a a local TV store. Used to bring in a TV or two and put them in our gym, and and anybody that wanted to could go down there and watch the World Series when they were oh, cool. during the day. Nice. So, um, you know, I, I kind of followed the Braves and, until the Twins showed up, and then uh, the Twins became my team, and and. Uh, really enjoyed following that and have it's it was always fun to have your own team yeah it gives you some skin in the game yeah did you have a uh like a favorite player growing up or that you've seen in person you know it was was kind of funny because the first baseball game that i ever attended was at metropolitan stadium and it was the 1965 all-star game wow wow and that was that was kind of a funny story because um you know my friends and i we we were 
65 was when we were seniors in high school and we had uh, graduate we had graduated and we we're just sitting around talking one day and you know just before the all-star game was taking place and we thought well let's just drive down to the stadium and uh see if, and watch the all-star game and you know we lived uh on a small town north of many about 70 miles north of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And so we drove the cities, not even thinking that there was even wasn't a possibility that we could get a ticket. But you know, we got there. Um the only tickets that were available were standing room tickets. And we ended up just walking in, getting standing room tickets for a couple bucks and and were able to see, you know, a humongous amount of um, all-stars in that 65 all-star game nice that's a great first game too. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's a good introduction to yeah person. <laughs> you know and and then the twins you know they were gonna go into world series that year and you know little did we know that but uh, that's after i when i graduated that year a couple months later i ended up going in navy and i was gone for about three years and so i didn't get to follow baseball for a while back then they you know no internet none of that stuff you know you were lucky to get i was signed up the sporting news and you know every once in a while you'd get your weekly sporting news and other times it'd get intercepted along the, the other along the way and uh, other people would get it and you'd never see it hmm. Hmm. okay i i used to have the sporting news too it was probably my favorite magazine growing up yeah, I remember. I remember when box scores were a thing, but oh, missed it. <laughs> now it's now it's all baseball reference, but yep, and you know, much quicker, easier at hand. Uh, but I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You I was know, reading just the box say scores. That. Reading the box scores it. was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I don't know if giving everyone as much information as they have at their fingertips is a good thing because it makes everybody a proclaimed expert. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that's so, I'm on uh, Twitter. And you can find a stat to back up any argument you, you want. Yep. You know? Yeah, right or wrong. That's, that's the flip side of <laughs> yep. what's good about yep, baseball. You can, but, you can find a number to support your cause no matter what. Yep. Absolutely. John, so I guess we're going to, you want to, Chris, do you want to start with the, I think we should start with Minnesota though. Yeah, I, I was just going to ask John real quick before we go into the yeah. um, all-time lineups. What, what are your thoughts on the Twins now? Like, what direction do you think they're going in? Do you think they could compete for the division? Do you think they're kind of rebuilding? What, what's your thoughts? Well, you know, it's, it's just kind of a weird situation. Um, they have no pitching, absolutely at all. Uh, you know, they're going to need to make some moves. Uh, so. It's hard to say, you know, everybody says they're not, the team says they're not rebuilding, but on the other hand, you know, you almost have to think that they are rebuilding without the pitching and just go with young pitching maybe and, and try to build. But on the other hand, their position players are in a position where, you know, they should be competing. And so I'm waiting for this uh, lockout and see what kind of moves are made and we'll kind of get a better feel for it, but they're not as bad a team as they were last year. Right. I agree. 
Yeah, I think looking at their talent, I mean, especially on the offensive side with their lineup, I, yeah, I don't think they're as bad as the record was last year. It's an interesting dynamic. And uh, one other question I have before we get into the all-time teams is, what did you think about the Byron Buxton uh, contract? I know it's a kind of kind of older news, but um, with the lockout, there's not much going on. So, right. you know that that was that was an interesting dilemma. I mean, I can't think of any player similar to Buxton's abilities that has been injured so much, and then when he became a free agent, so to speak, or would become a free agent soon, uh, that the team had to make a decision like that, like the twins did. And, you know, the only way they could go really is to come up with the contract like they did, give them a lot of uh, money. If he, you know, manages to stay healthy and put up the numbers and, and if he can't stay healthy, it won't make quite as much money, but everyone, everybody, I think for the most part was convinced that the twins were going to trade him. Yeah, I thought they were going to just trade him to the highest bidder and get as many prospects back as they could. But, you know, like you said, when he's healthy, he is he's one of the supreme talents in the game. Definitely. Yeah, he's he's quite an amazing player, but he just can't stay healthy. There's and I don't know if, if that'll change, to be honest. But, you know, I I'm hope I'm wrong and that he he can play you know, 150 games for him here one of these years. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you can't really coach up availability, but hopefully he just stays off the injured list and you guys go into the season with a full complement of your talent. Yeah, Um, it's It's, it's kind of a weird situation like last year, like I mentioned, um, you know, I would just, updating my uh, twins injured list for last year for my website you know they had um, they used the IL list 39 times wow you know they they had uh, over 1500 games missed by players uh, an amazing amount of injuries but you know everybody had it has injuries but Twins just seem to be hit really bad last year. Yeah, one of the, some of those years, it's just you know when it rains, it pours type of thing, and it's it's almost you hate to say a lost year, but it's you'd rather have it all happen at once and just kind of lose that one year and then bounce back. So yeah, it was you know the the strange thing was 2019 was you know the the bomba season so to speak where the twins had all those home runs and yep. you know everybody kind of overperformed that year and then last year comes around and they pretty much all underperformed <laughs> it was kind of kind of strange yeah so we'll start with um what we were doing i don't know if you listened to the last episode or not but what we do is we're just going to break it down by division and do the teams and um right now we're on the AL Central we'll start with the twins and we just do an all-time team um that the players that played you know mostly with the Minnesota Twins I think with the AL East most of the guys were either lifelong or you know 
you associate them with the team the most. Except for Tampa. Um, Tampa was the hard one to get through. <laughs> yeah, and with free agency, it's kind of hard to do a lifelong player yeah. at each position. So it's it comes down to, I guess, either baseball reference or just which guy had the bigger moment on, on said team. Um, my my biggest question right before we start is where what position would you put Harmon Killebrew at? Because I know he played a lot of games at first, some at third, some in the outfield. You could put him in a, in a number of places, like you say. Um, I, on my team, I, I put him at third base because uh, I, wa- I had uh, other outfielders that I wanted to use. And at, yeah. at first base, you know, I, I uh, had somebody else also. So... Um, you know, that, that was just the best fit to get the, I think, some of the better players in, into my all-time team. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess we can start a catcher. Uh, we'll start with you. Um, who, who do you associate catcher with the Twins on the all-time team most? Well, you know, I, you kind of have to go with uh, Joe Maurer, who, you know, was a great player. He had his share of injuries. Um, you know, when they, you know, a lot of the fans looked on, called him baby Jesus because, you know, if he <laughs> had a little bit, a little bit of a problem, he sat out. But his take always was he wanted to play at 100%. And if he wasn't at 100%, he, he didn't want to particularly be in the lineup. But tremendous hitter, great behind the plate. Um, I had him at catcher uh, over Earl Batty going way back to the 60s. Yeah, that's a throwback. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, what can you say about Maurer? I mean, he had – he was a multi-all-star. He had – I think he finished with an above 300 average for his career. He had multiple years where he was in the mid-300s. And in 2009, he batted uh, 365. For a guy that – you know, I mean, he had that one big power year, not yeah. synonymous with the pa- as being more of a contact hitter, doubles and singles. He was yeah. one of those old school players that almost had as many walks as strikeouts for his career, mm-hmm. which is incredible. He was a great player. I, I, you know what? At, at one point, he had a run where I thought he could. You could argue that he was the best player in baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, from 2006 to 2010, he batted 347, 293, and then 328, 365, and 327. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was at catcher. Yeah, he was, I mean, batting that year in 2009, he had an over 1,000 OPS at catcher. Mm. And he won the gold. And that's the thing. He won the gold glove. Three times. Silver Slugger, you know. Silver Slugger, of course, yeah. Yeah. Top 10 MVP four times. I mean, he doesn't get as much credit, I think, nationally as he did, I'm assuming, locally for the glove that he had at catcher. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, he could throw. Yes. Yeah, good arm. Yeah, and the, the sad part is that they had to move him to first, right? That's where I think, because I think a lot of people lose him there. Because when he went to first, he's not exactly the big power bat you normally have at first. So those numbers 
kind of, you know, kind of skewed at the end, right? Yep. And, and you know, the fact that he was making, you know, what, $28 million a year, um, you know, irritated a lot of people. He, folks seem to uh, tie big money contracts with big power hitters and, and Maurer wasn't that. Right. Uh, and then of course, when he, like you say, when he moved to first base, he, he lost some, uh, some, you know, leaving a, a scarce catcher position and moving to first base, he, he just didn't compete as well for that kind of money. Yeah. And you to know what? Me, he, he seemed like an old school first baseman in that, uh, I guess not old, it depends. Uh, I'm in my mid-30s, so for me, an old school first baseman is like a, a glove first, contact hitting first baseman, like a like a Mark Grace, that type mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. But they get, like you said, they get kind of lost in the mix at first base. It's um, it, especially in the two thousands. It seems like it's home run or nothing. And you yeah. know what? The crazy thing, quickly about him with the catching, if you go by the Jaws um, ratings that they have on Baseball Reference for catches, he's seventh. And when you think about it, he was kind of he didn't play his whole career there. You know, like correct. Yeah. What did he play? Maybe ten years at catcher. Yeah, he's, yeah, about ten, yeah. nine, ten years. So, to be that high and only playing that many games at catcher is pretty impressive. But he was, like I said, I I thought for a while there he was the best player in baseball. He was just, he was amazing to watch. Defensively, of course, the bat was was incredible as well. But yeah, I don't think he gets as much credit as he should for how good of a catcher he really was. And, you know, on top of that, away from the field, he was or away from the you know, the field. He was great, too. I mean, he didn't you never heard anything bad about him. He didn't get into any kind of trouble. Um, you know, he was noted here in the Twin Cities. He was, uh, you know, he he was selling milk. You know, so uh, <laughs> That's made him the All-American kid. And this this is a tough position. It's always a tough position with. A franchise that has had uh, a good history of putting out players. It's first base. Um, you can go in multiple directions here with the Twins. Um, so who did you have at first base? I ended up going with Kent Herbeck. Okay. Uh, um, mainly because, um, you know, I, I wanted to get him in, into the lineup. He's, you know, all time Twins. Uh, Herbeck is like fourth in war, uh, or I should say sixth in war. And, uh, you know, you got to have him in your lineup. And he was, Herbeck was a, a stellar first baseman. He never got the credit he deserved because uh, he was playing about the same time that a guy uh, by the name of Mattingly was playing. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, I need to have him in there. He is, I, I don't think I've seen a first baseman, especially at his size, that could go back with his back to the infield, going into right field and catch the ball like he did. He, he was just incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and, and ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, good, good, John. The funny thing about him was that, you know, 
it's hard to know how good he really could have been if he really would have tried hard to, to be a baseball player. But Ken Herbeck played baseball because it was fun. You know, he was all for, you know, playing the game and sitting down and having some cold beers and then going hunting, hunting or fishing. You yeah. know, it, baseball wasn't his life. Right. He played, what did he play, 14 years? All 14. I know he played all, his whole career in Minnesota. Yeah, 81 to 94. Yeah. Um, when he finished up, he finished second in franchise history in home runs and RBIs in 94 when he, when he uh, retired. And he only retired at 34, so he got a pretty young start. He's another guy like Maurer that started young and retired relatively young. Yeah, and, and I think in Herbeck's case was, again, it was his, you know, he had, he definitely looked at life that there was more to it than baseball, and and he had put on a lot of weight, yeah. you know, which w- was hurting him. He he didn't believe in putting in a lot of uh, work in the exercise side, so, you know, <laughs> that, that was kind of a slowing him down, and um, he's put on a lot of weight since then, too, but uh, he's, he's still... The Minnesota boy that another one that that made it big. Uh, I I just for argument's sake, I, I mean, like I said, you could go multiple ways here. I liked Ken Herbeck's selection. I picked him too. Uh, I think an honorable mention has got to be Justin Morneau. Um, he um, he was another underrated player for the Twins in that newer generation, that newer era of teams that were making the playoffs perennially. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Chris, yeah. Chris, who did you have at first? Um, I had, I had put Killebrew there at first. Okay. I wasn't sure, but I listen, Herbeck was a guy, just a quick story. Like eight before the 87 season, me and a buddy of mine, we started this thing. It wasn't fantasy baseball yet, but we just, we kind of drafted our own players and just followed along and whoever between our players with the most home runs, you know, would win. So we had, I forgot how many plays, maybe 20 players each or something. But mm-hmm. anyway, he was actually a twins fan and he had told me, he goes, you know what? And I, I kind of laughed him off, you know, when he was like, the twins are going to be very good this year. And he goes, if they had a closer, they could be in the world, you know, they could be in the world series. And I said, yeah, right. The twins <laughs> aren't the world series. Right. But Sure, as he said, right? They had Jeff Reardon and they end up making that great run and they go to the World Series. So I actually rooted for them for those years, 87, even the 91 World Series. I rooted for him then. Um, so I, I definitely appreciate what you're saying about Herbeck. And I think if I if I listened to you first about putting Killebrew somewhere else, I definitely would have put Herbeck at first too. That that was my he was my first option at my first thought, I should say. And then I said, you know what? I got to put Killebrew somewhere, so I put him. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I kind of wimped out and put Killebrew at DH. I didn't know mm-hmm. where to where to put him, and I just figured his bat was what made him, you know, who he was. Even though he was a he was a pretty good with his glove too, but it was mostly I think of Killebrew as power hitting, great yeah. hitter. So I put him yeah. at DH, but yeah. I think second base is a little easier with the Twins. Yeah. 
Before, yeah, and before before he moved on to second base, the guy the guy that you know we didn't mention at all at first base was Carew. You know, when he played uh, first base for Minnesota for a number of years, he Crew wasn't uh, the greatest second baseman around, and so plus he got had his share of injuries over there, and so you know that's kind of why they moved him to first. But you know he turned into a pretty good first baseman, and you know. As we get into second, which happens to be where I put crew and, and yep. left them just because he was such a great hitter and and you know that that's the best position for him on, on my team. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Carew's bat I think plays anywhere. The way he could swing the bat. He was um he was he was another guy. I think he was underrated. I, I think 17 straight all-star appearances. But when you think of great all-time hitters, he's got to be in the discussion. He's over, I think he's over 330 for his career. 334, yeah. Yeah. I think it's 15 straight years he batted over 300. Which yeah. is something you'll never see now. I mean, with the way these guys are with the shift and... yeah you know, with their strategies and everything. I and he was, he had a lot of stolen bases for his career, too. Mm-hmm. He was a, he was he a good did, base runner. As, uh, especially as steals of home. Yes. You know, in 69, yeah. when Billy Martin was his manager, uh, you know, he had him running all over the place. And and uh, he had, what, what, at least seven or eight or nine steals of home that year. That's I think that's a match made in heaven. Carew yeah. and Billy Martin, the way yeah. Billy wanted to play Billy Ball. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and Carew, you know, I, I met him a few times when he was younger, when he was first starting out. And, and Carew was not an easy person to get along with. I mean, he, he was kind of, uh, he was, pretty quiet you know and and he kind of had an attitude and you know he wasn't well liked to begin with but you know as, as time went along he kind of mellowed and and players accepted him and management accepted him for what he was and uh, but it was kind of a it was a rough time to be a black ball player at that time Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll be honest. I only remember him as an angel. I don't remember him at all as a twin. Um, my first year watching baseball, 78, 79, 80. So it was right about mm-hmm. when they, when he went to California. And I remember yep. being on the Angels. And But he was still a great hitter. I mean, the guy was hitting his last year at 39. He hit 280, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Um but uh, yeah, he was my pick as well. Um, and a tough, I think, one of the toughest positions to pick for the Twins because of, I mean, it's a good problem to have multiple great all-time players, is shortstop. Ah, um, yes. I'm interested to see where you go with shortstop on this pick. Shortstop was my toughest dilemma, too. Um, you know, the, the, it, it, 
just difficult because, you know, do you go with a hit, hitting shortstop like Royce Molly, who's, you know, a, a switch hitter and, and had good power? Or do you go with someone like Greg Gagne, who played in on two World Series teams? Right. Right. And so I, I just I had both of them listed there. Uh, one as a hitter and, and one as just kind of an all-around player. And, and Gagne wasn't a bad hitter. He just didn't hit for a very high average, but uh, he was a smart baseball player. Um, he was certainly the leader of, of the infield on that team. And uh, he, was, he was a wonderful player. Yeah, I went with uh, Greg as well. But uh, like you, I wrote down him and Roy Smalley. Uh, kind of, if you could combine them, <laughs> you would make the, the super shortstop for the Twins. If that makes sense. It would be, um, but Gagne was, uh, to me, I think he gets the nod just because he was on the championship teams and yeah. all around. Uh, just for me, that puts it over the top. But Roy Smalley was a, was a significant player as well in his own right. And, you know, if you look at, at the war numbers, uh, Gagne sitting at 17.9 and Smalley's at 20.8. Yeah. So, you know, there isn't that much of a difference in the war numbers either. Right. And, and I, I'm not saying war is, is the final thing, um, you know, to rate a player. I, I just use war because it gives you a, a good and even way to, to compare players since, you know, everybody's war is calculated in the same manner. Yeah, I like war because it kind of, it, it gives you an even even playing field to, like we're, I kind of was talking down the numbers before, but in this respect with war, I think it gives you a way to compare different yeah. generations, you know, different if a small ball player compared to a guy that could hit home runs and whatnot. And, um, yep. So it's interesting to see how the numbers and then how intangibles kind of come into the argument as well. Absolutely. Yeah, was, yeah I, had, I had the same too. I, I wrote them both down and I figured, John, you would be our, you know, our final our final choice. I figured those are the only two <laughs> I had. And I figured, well, John will give us the right answer. So. <laughs> and third base is another one where you could put Killebrew at third. Or you could go with, um, there's a couple of names. I'm interested to see the other names. We could talk about Killebrew either at third, outfield, DH, first. So yep. we can talk about Killebrew now if you want to. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and Killebrew, uh, you know, again, was, is just too good a player to leave out. Um, you know, I did a, a thing on my website where, I rated the best players by, you know, for each position, uh, the Twins' best players by position. And I randomly picked a certain percentage of games that you had to play to qualify for a position. And when I got all done, 
I had finished all the positions and I didn't have Killebrew as a leader on any of my positions because he didn't qualify percentage wise and number of games for, uh, you know, to, to qualify. He just didn't play a high enough percentage of games at that, at that particular position. And when I got all done and published everything, I, I got a lot of heat for saying, how can you pick the best players at each position and not have Killebrew on your team? Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I put him at DH just so I could put other players in the field. Um, for me, I put at third base Gary Gaetti, who pretty much had the 80s locked down for the Twins. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is he in the Twins Hall of Fame? He is. Okay. He is. And uh, he... Um, you know, he would have been my next choice if I didn't put Killebrew there. It would have been Gaetti. He was uh, one of my favorite all-time players. Um, loved the way he played. He always got dirty. He was good in the field. He was good at the bat. Um, you know, and then, you know, his life kind of changed at, at uh, a certain point where, you know, he, he – gave up his uh, beer drinking ways him and her back were you know really tight and things kind of fell apart when Gaetti turned to religion and um, tried to you know get on some of the players for their drinking and for their cussing and so that was kind of a, a change to the whole twins setup when when that happened. Yeah, I always remember Gaetti as a really good defender. I mean, he was a good hitter too. But yeah. I always, I always was for for me. I always associated defense with him. And yeah, he was a he was a key player on the eighty seventeen. Yeah, he was he was a good you know a, a excellent third baseman. Another third baseman that maybe doesn't get enough credit as is Corey Kosky. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know too much about him, although, I mean, I remember his name coming up when I was looking up the different positions and whatnot, but. Yeah, he's, uh, he was a Canadian and, um, you know, a hockey player type, and uh, he, he was just terrible fielder when he first came up there in the minors and you know he picked it up and he was a, a excellent third baseman but he, you know he was another one of those guys that another one of those twins players that their career kind of got sh cut short with injuries um you know he had some uh his share of concussions you know like Morneau or like Maurer, you know, power pockets career obviously got cut short. So that it just seems like there's just been so many twins that have uh, had their careers impacted by injury. Hmm. Yeah, he wasn't a guy. He wasn't a guy I was thinking about at third because Gaetti was obviously the first guy I thought of. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, Koski did have a couple of good years. Um, that 2001 season, I think he had 20. Uh, he had 26 homers, 103 ribbies, 276 batting average. He was he was definitely a pretty good hitter. Like you said, if it wasn't for the injuries, 
you know, he could have had a, yeah. a much better career for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get to the outfield, which is, like I said, any team picking three outfielders, good luck. Uh, this is where the debate begins, really. Uh, <laughs> we didn't do left field, center field, right. We just did three outfielders to make it a little easier. Because um, when you're looking for a specific left field, you know, sometimes it gets difficult. But uh, who would you have as the three outfielders? Well, for me, I, I tried to do a right, center, and left. Okay. And, and um, I had Oliva and right and Puckett and center. And I had Allison and left. Okay. Um, and if, you know, you know, you know, if you go with three outfielders, you know, Tory Hunter has a shot at getting in there. But if you, if you look at the numbers, Allison's numbers, uh, when you compare them to Gaetti, uh, Allison had a better, war um yep. allison had ended up having you know let um uh, what am i saying here allison had 211 home runs and hunter had 214 you know so they, they were you know in a way they were different kind of ball players but in a way they were similar and both played tremendous defense uh, Hunter ended up becoming a power hitter over time. Allison was always a power hitter. So it's, um, those would, would be my four outfielders. And, and I, you know, Hunter wouldn't make it, uh, if I went by, by actual position. Interesting. Cause I had, I had Oliva, Puckett and Hunter. I, I put Allison as my fourth, but you make a really good argument for him. He's, um, the more I look at Bob Allison, I don't remember him playing. It was a little before my time. But the more that I dove into his story and his numbers, the more that I liked. Obviously, what's not to like? He's a good ball player. Another guy that if we were going left, center, right, that would get some sort of recognition in right field would be Michael Kadair. He had a few. I don't know if he had enough years, but I always – I always pictured him in the right field. I don't know if I maybe I switched well, that up. Well, yeah, and you know, and he played there for for quite a while. He had a lot of prob. They had a lot of problems finding a position for right. him. Um, you know, he started out with a short as shortstop, then the yep. third, second, um, and then finally in right field. And you know, he had a. He was probably their best throwing right fielder that they've had in recent years. He could really get the ball in it had an accurate arm um i guess i didn't have him ranked up that high i kind of i think there's some other outfielders yeah, that definitely. maybe go back a ways that um like a larry heisel that might fit up okay. in there um one guy that that played quite a bit outfield way back in the 60s was Guy by the name of Cesar Tor. Um, okay. But I I was kind of saving him and I put him on put him on as my utility player. Interesting. Antonio Leva, he just got into the Hall of Fame, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. Two twins and uh, going in the Hall of Fame this year again. There you go. Nice. Yeah. 
yeah, my my three were Pocket, Oliva, Oliva, and uh, Tori Hunter as well. Uh, Pocket, one of my favorite players watching all time. Just a, a just unbelievable player. Um, mm -hmm. And Tori Hunter as well too. Another another amazing defensive player, along with a good hitter. Um, you know what I wanted to actually before we went any forward any forward because there's another guy that's on all these lists here for Minnesota because he was on the senators uh, oh. was Sam Rice. Now I, and looking back at all these stats, now I seen the senators became the twins, right? And then mm -hmm. moved. now when the twins moved to Minnesota, the senators played the following year in, they were still the Washington senators. Is that a different team? Was that an experience? How did that work? It was an expansion team. Ah, and they just kept the name. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. And they, and you know, they, became the only way they could get them to uh, get, uh, Griffith could get and enough votes to move was if they put another team in Washington. And, uh, you know, so the Angels and them came along and uh, went from there. But there's still an argument to this day on who owns the, the so-called rights to the old senators players. You know, right. the, tw the twins don't do too much with it. Um, the Washington senators lay claim to it. Uh, you know, the Montreal Expos uh, think they own rights to it. So it's wow. <laughs> kind of that's strange. crazy. <laughs> okay but they had some they had some stellar players you know they had a terrible team in washington as the washington senators but um i think they won the world series well once or twice in 24 25 something like that but um you know was there ever a better pitcher than walter johnson yeah probably yeah, his his numbers are uh tough to tough to yeah. even fathom in today's game And then that brings us to DH. Uh, like I said, I put Killebrew here. You can, I mean, you can go any number of ways here. If you didn't put more now before, you might be able to put him there. Uh, you could put, you know, if you didn't put Hunter, you might be able to sneak him in at DH. But, sure. um, you know, there's, there's multiple ways. To go. Who did you end up uh, putting at DH? I, I didn't have a DH, um, yeah. you know, but gosh, he could he could put in like you say any number of players. Uh, you know, some of the one of the top players that we haven't mentioned at all um, is Chuck Knobloch. Yes, you know, and he was he's what seventh in in WAR for the Twins all time. Um, you know, for well. And for me, all time for the Twins, you know, is, is starts in '61. But um, you know, he's he just couldn't beat out Crew. But but Nablock was a heck of a player, um, you know. And and then he ran into some issues with what he was being paid, and he ended up being traded to the Yankees. And then he had uh, some throwing problems problems that yes kind of, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> that kind of really hurt him and you know and then after baseball I mean he went down totally downhill even off the field too it was a mess too right didn't 
Can you have absolutely? Your... Yeah, I, I, I trust me as a Yankee fan, I was extremely excited to get him. Um, but um, yeah, when he came to us, he was nowhere near the player he was with you guys. No, and I thought when when the Yankees got him, and you know he'd, they'd be hitting him at leadoff, he'd God knows how many runs he was going to score there. But it it just never panned out like that. Yeah. And then that brings us to pitcher, and what we did uh, in earlier episodes was just we made it more difficult on ourselves. We decided one pitcher. That's it. <laughs> oh. uh, so there's a good amount of players you can mention here. Um, I personally went with Jim Cobb. I also listed Burt Blylevin. and I cheated with two. But uh, I'm interested to see where you go. If you have to pick one Minnesota Twins pitcher. I I would have to go with Blylevin. Okay. Um, just because, um, you know, he's came in at such a young age, what, 19, something like that. And he was pitching, you know, went on those 69 and I think 69, 70 teams when he was starting out. Those were great teams um, that ended up losing to the Orioles in the first round of playoffs. There's terrible luck that they had there. But um, I I actually, you know, had ranked five starters. You know, I had that Bly 11 one. I had, you know, kind of maybe surprising to you guys, but I had Brad Radke a second and Jose, uh, sent Johan Santana third, Jim Cott fourth, and then kind of a, a, a tie at fifth between Frankie Viola and Jim Perry. Nice. It's a nice little trip down memory lane with some of these names. It's... um. Johan yeah. Santana is the one that I grew up with. I didn't grow up with, but uh, kind of came of age as a baseball fan. I remember him in Minnesota. I mean, obviously, he had a couple, more than a couple, but he had a few phenomenal years with Minnesota. It was Absolutely. just... And it, I'm sensing a theme with the Minnesota team that a lot of guys that started out really young and then like you said before, kind of got either injured or shortened career. But between Maurer, Killebrew, and Blylevin, I think all three started as a teenager in the big leagues. They did. Yeah. They did. It's, um, they, you know, and Antonio Oliva was, yep. was really young also. Um, they, you know, back then the Twins had – kind of the, the in in Cuba, they were about the only major league team that was taking players out of Cuba until that, sh- that got shut down. So they were getting some, some star players from there, but um, that kind of changed over time. And then um, last but certainly not least would be manager. And to list one manager, like I said, the Twins have had a product organization for multiple decades now to list one manager i'd be interested to see where you where you go with this yeah my manager would be tom kelly um and and it's kind of funny that i would say that because when tom kelly was manager i didn't like him um i didn't like him because you know how he treated people he was he was 
he was a strict disciplinarian, uh, but yet the players loved playing for him. Um, he, he treated the fans poorly. You know, that he had a call-in radio show uh, for many, many years. And uh, players or uh, fans would call in and ask him a question and why he did so-and-so. And, and he would get so mad at the fans. He would, you know, would always say, his first thing out of his mouth was always, Oh my. And then he'd rip into the fan for, you know, why he was doing, you know, why he was asking such a dumb question when it was obvious that he had made the right move. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that kind of irritated me with him. And, um, you know, a lot of fans said he was their greatest manager and I, and he managed the team to two World Series. And my question always was, well, could somebody else have done better? Um, after looking at it and thinking about it all this time, uh, you know, I think he was just happened to be the perfect guy at, at the perfect time. And he knew he grew up with almost all the players that he managed in the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, it worked out for everybody. Yeah. Certainly did. Um, Chris, did you, uh, do you, who did you have for manager? Yeah, I, I had Tom Kelly too. I was going yeah. between Kelly and um, Garden Hire, obviously, but Kelly with the two World Series championships, you got to go with him. Garden Hire, you know, unfortunately ran into the hated Yankees uh, a few times <laughs> in the playoffs. So, but um, yeah, yeah, you have to go with Kelly because of the two World Series championships, I think. Yeah. I, you know, actually, uh, even though I picked on Kelly, my favorite twin favorite Twins manager was Billy Martin. Mm -hmm. um, only managed one year. Um, he he was just difficult to get along with, as you guys probably both well know. Yeah. Um, but you know, fans were so mad about him getting fired. I and I was one of those. Uh, I said I'd never go to another Twins game after they fired Martin. And for a couple of years, I only followed the Twins on TV because of how upset I was with that deal. But wow. um, he was, he could, he just had his way of managing. It's, you know, he, he was just unique and, and he could somehow get away with getting teams to win and, you know, he made them better as a group than what they were individually. Yeah. He's um, the lore and mythology of him, even as great as it is, I still think he was an underrated manager. Just like you said, what he got out of teams. Um, he just had players collectively overperformed. That's tough to do in baseball. Is anyone that's played baseball or coached or will attest to, you know, usually it's, you know, players play to the back of their baseball card, their stats. And whether it's Billy Ball or the, whatever you want to call it, the way he was able to kind of make more than lemonade out of lemons, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, and, you know, 
and he didn't, I don't think he had any one way of managing. If you look at some of his teams right. that he managed, he managed them differently. You know, I was just, had just written an article about uh, what was the most complete games in a row that a Twins pitcher had thrown. You know, it just kind of came to mind and I looked it up and it, it turned out that it was Camilo Pasquale had thrown eight consecutive complete games. Wow. You know, and that, that sounds like a pretty impressive number. And then so I looked up who had thrown the most complete games in all of baseball. And it was a guy named Rick Langford for the Oakland A's when Billy Martin was his manager. 22 consecutive complete games. Wow. <laughs> and it's amazing that you mentioned that because I think Billy Martin was also known for using the bullpen a lot in one of his yeah. stints, I think, with Texas. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you, his versatility as a manager. Yeah. And you know what's interesting too about Billy Martin in the 16 years that he managed, he won two pennants and one World Series, all that with the Yankees. And he only finished first in one other season other than with the Yankees. And that was with the Twins the one year. Yeah. You, you would think with the A's, with all those great teams during that, that era, he would have uh, gotten first there. But his best finish with the A's. In the three years he w- he was there was three was uh, third. So I would have loved to see Billy Martin during the Moneyball era, oh. with a smaller market <laughs> team, kind of getting the most out of a quote unquote small salary. Yeah. Or I would, with the shifts. Oh, I would love to see him with, you know, some guy from you know from upstairs giving him a list. Uh, you know, yeah. oh, here, here's the lineup you should do. Here's yeah, this. that wouldn't have gone over well. Oh, my God. He probably would have beat him up or something. <laughs> I could just see that. Uh, that's his, his, yeah, his type of managing would not go over well um, in this era of baseball. Yeah. No, no. It, it had its <laughs> time, um, but uh, yeah. um, kind of like, you know, for me that has watched baseball for a long time, I used to love to see the umpires come out and, you know, kick dirt on the plate, throw their caps, go to first base, throw the first base down yep. the line. Um, you know, those I miss those kind of things from baseball. Yep. No, me too. I, I, love I think that era is gone now, sadly. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you, you're going to get many Earl Weavers Sadly. No, that, that's why I was a little surprised that the Mets hired Showalter, um, yeah. to be honest. But I don't know. Let's see how that goes. You know, you got a lot of, you know, big players there now. And are they going to – is Showalter going to be able to mesh the new school and the old school together? Is he going to be able to – Great experiment. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a good experiment for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be interesting, you know, because I had similar thoughts to La Russa and the White Sox last year. Look what happened. Yeah, yeah that's a good call. That's, um, I, I hate to say it's a make or break year for him, but I could, I could see with their talent. And we'll, that's a perfect segue. We'll get into the White Sox next. But uh, with their talent, there's really no excuse now this year, I think, for the White Sox. 
I think they've got to make a deep run based on who their manager is, some of that talent on that team. And, you know, their pitching is pretty nice, too. I mean, it, it really isn't bad yeah. pitching. Yeah. And we'll yes. get into the White Sox right now. It's a perfect little segue. Um, yeah, uh, the White Sox. Start with, start with catcher. Um, I went with I went with a really old school pick at catcher. I went with Ray Schalk with the White Sox. That goes back a ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you can go with Carlton Fisk here. Um, what did you guys? I I you know what I wrote Fisk and I wrote Schalk down because I figured between the two we would probably talk about them both because they both yep. had you know, great numbers as at catcher. So I did have both of them written down. Okay. Um, and I ended up going with Fisk just because, you know, I was more familiar with him, I guess. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I'm trying to look you know, up both, uh, both dog stats. And... What were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, both no, are... Yeah. Shulk had more, had more years with them. He had, I think, 17 years with the White Sox. Fisk, I think, yeah. only had, what, nine? I think, no, I think Fisk, for some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that he had 11 with each Sox team. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think. But definitely Fisk was the better offensive player. Yeah. You know, Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Shulk, I don't know if he was not. Oh, yeah, he is a Hall of Famer. Yes, he is. Yep. yep. Um. Yeah, I mean, Chalk was, I mean, not that I saw him play. I just, reading up on him, 1912 to 28, he was was tiny even for his era. He was only 5'7". Oh. Yeah. Um, They have, you know, (laughs) they have two Hall of Fame catchers. You can't, like you said, you can't really go wrong between him and Fisk. (laughs) Um, Nope. But, uh, but the he offensive was, numbers are so much better with Fisk when you look at his numbers. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's tough to um, compare different eras, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against listing Carlton Fisk as the all-time White Sox catcher. Yeah. First base is a little tougher. Um I'll just say right away, because if anyone's listening out there and saying, why didn't you mention Frank Thomas? I put Frank Thomas as the, as the DH. Okay. Uh, just so I could get in Paul Canerco as a first baseman. I think he was very underrated. Um, I'd be interested to see what you guys think. Uh, I, yeah. Go ahead, John, you go. I I went with Frank Thomas, uh, the big hurt. You know, he was so good. Uh, he was he was a heck of a ball player. Uh, Paul Canerco was was excellent. Also, he uh, boy, he just seemed to really kill the Twins all the time. <laughs> um, a little bit different kind of players, but you know, when I when I look at him, you know, look. I'm a little surprised when I'm looking at their home run numbers. We got Frank Thomas with 448 and Canerco with 432. I didn't realize they were that close. 
Yeah, Canerco, what did he play, 15 or 16 years? Um, 15 years, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, as Thomas, did Thomas. As did Thomas, so it's yeah. very comparable. I always, to your point, I always thought of Frank Thomas' big hurt as more of a power hitter than Canerco, but. Canerco's um, actually got more games played than Thomas. But yeah, was, I just. The White Sox. Yeah, I saw that. and I wanted to put Canerco somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. To yeah. be honest with you, I never really – I'm sure Thomas was a fine defensive first baseman. I just – for some reason, I always put Paul Canerco at first base instead of Thomas. I always thought of Thomas as making his money as a, as a hitter. Mm -hmm. Canerco was definitely a, one of the most underrated players of his time, I think. Yeah, yeah, he um he put up just solid numbers, and again, it might be because of the position and the era, he gets overlooked. Um, other honorable mentions. I mean, if this isn't a couple of years, you could say Jose Abreu because he's another guy that gets overlooked nowadays with yeah, his power numbers. Yeah, he's putting up great numbers. I think in I think he could at the age of fifty. Just get up there and yeah, <laughs> just knock in seventy RBIs. Yep, he's a he's a very good ball player. Yeah, I, I did the same thing as you, um, Patrick. I, I I did Frank, but I I actually did the opposite. I put Thomas at first and Canerco at DH. So okay, but either way, you know you can't go wrong. <laughs> nope, nope, both good picks. Yes, and second bases for me was. Um, I wouldn't say an easy pick, but it was an old school pick. <laughs> I picked Eddie Collins. Mm -hmm. uh, 331 average. He's on base percentage. It's 426 for his career. Um, 231 home runs, which at second base is pretty good. Um, 368 stolen bases, over 1,000 runs. What really struck me was in his first year, um, in 1915, I had to do a double take. He struck out 27 times, and he walked 119. Uh, that, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. We talk about I, – I literally just talked about it's great that Joe Maurer is almost one-to-one -one walks and strikeouts, and this guy is like five-to-one on a year. It's, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, you don't see those kind of players anymore. No. <laughs> and he still had 231 home runs. It wasn't like, you know, it's not like he was um, putting up, you know, one home run a year. Yep. Who did you guys have at second? I did the same thing, and I, I had to mention Nellie Fox as well. He put up uh, some yes. numbers. As yeah, well. he was an honorable mention. And another one before we get to your picks is Ray Durham. Yes, he was. Um, he was in, That's uh, who I had as uh, you know yep. the the more modern day second baseman. Yeah, yeah, he had he had, he was definitely one of the better second basemen during his era for sure. He had a nice run. And I can see the case against Eddie Collins being that he split his career between Philly and Chicago. 
but he still played in 1600 games with the White Sox. And, yeah. 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 That's um, what I ended up going with too. For his career, he had 741 stolen bases. Eddie Collins. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Some of these old time stats really do not get old. I mean, with the walks and strikeouts. And, I mean, he had 1,500 walks in his career and under 500 strikeouts. Wow. And you, you know what I was, I was thinking about today, comparing like baseball and football. Like baseball, a lot of the old-time numbers are just ridiculous how, how, how much more they are. Like it's, it's – you know, records that we probably will never see. Good point, because when you look at, like, quarterbacks, like last night, Ben Roethlisberger, great quarterback. He's retiring. I looked up his stats compared to Terry Bradshaw, and oh, it's, statistically, you, you can't even measure the difference. Right. I mean, That's, and to your point, with baseball, yeah. in certain ways, the power numbers, I mean, you look at Babe Ruth, and it's like – his numbers haven't his numbers have aged even better than the mythology around him. I mean, some of these stats you're never going to see again. I mean, that's, I mean, it's weird how, how one league you can't compare it because they'll never be broken. And then the other way, like in football, because passing, you know, it was, it was such a, a run, 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 you know, passing didn't come into right right, until like the fifties or sixties. Um, and then really broke out the last, say, 20 years. It's become a more of a passing uh, league. But yeah. And we know, like, the, ba- the in baseball, the pitching uh, career numbers are not going to be touched. They're just not going to be touched. The wins, uh, complete games, shutouts, Ks, yeah. they're just not going to be touched. Right. I'm, you know, I've been wondering lately what the, uh, you know, Hall of Fame thing's coming out names coming out here soon is, you know, how are they going to pick Hall of Fame pitchers in the future? I I mean, we got into it recently with, this is an extreme example, but um, look at Jacob DeGrom. He is a dominant pitcher, but he has less than 100 wins. Yeah, He's not even going to, he can't even sniff the, the Hall of Fame. But, right, where, but you know, where in the modern history can you write about the very modern history of baseball, of pitching? Can you not mention D- Jacob Degrom? Yeah, it's. I, mean, I I just don't know how they're going to pick Hall of Famers. You know, wins don't seem to count anymore. You know, strikeouts are a big deal. Yes, you know, in the past, then now, I guess, but you know. Will there even be starters? I mean, starters are only going to put in a few innings and less as each year goes by. Yeah. I mean, to that point, that's a great point because it's you don't get guys going the third time or even the second time through the order pitching anymore. And you can't, the benchmark is not going to, it can't be 300 wins anymore. It can't. It's got to be. It's got to be something like 200, 250 at the most. I, I don't know. 
I don't even think that's going to be a benchmark. I, because, I, I mean, you look at it like Pedro Martinez had like, I think, 221. And he was, what, first ballot because it's Pedro. Right. He's an artist out there. But, I mean, I think you get guys like Felix Hernandez, who was a great pitcher. You get CC Sabathia. Uh, these guys are in the low 200s, right? Yeah, I my my thing my, my thinking behind it is going to be you especially with pitchers more than hitters but i think even with hitters as well because the hitters numbers are you know are so skewed now because batting average is not important right but right. i think also too is you have to look at the players were they the best or one of the best players during their era you know you can't compare the pitching anymore to 30 years ago even 20 years ago, you just can't because it's a totally different game now. Like John said, with, you know, starters going three, four innings, maybe five, they go five. It's like, you know, that that's your ace now, if he goes five or six yeah. innings. Um, so I, I, I think you have to go by the error that played in. You can't compare, um, you know, like you just brought up, J- Jacob De- DeGrom has been the best player the past five years. I mean, the best pitcher easily. But his numbers, when you look at his numbers, you're like, Okay, they're, they're nowhere near what the greats were. But I mean, to that point, look at uh, Clayton Kershaw, 185 wins. He should I be mean, a Hall he's of 30, Famer. He's 33. He'll get the 200 wins, but, you know, he, he's got to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. Yeah. But to that point, it's not, you know, it's a no doubter, but it's also not a 300. You know, Jim Palmer is not walking through that door. Yeah, 300. You, I, you, I don't think you'll ever see it unless, you know, maybe one day things are going to change again back to the way they were and pitchers are going to go five uh, more than five innings. They're going to go seven innings. Um, but since the bullpen is so. At this rate, just so give me five or six like innings. Because we started to see it. I mean, especially in the World Series, too, mm-hmm. with some of the guys. It was like, you know, like two, three innings, and then he's done. Yeah. I I, I personally do not like how the pitches are used now, and especially, like, when you go to the playoffs, like you said, you know, like, one of the big things with, with the playoffs were the the starting pitcher matchups. We'd always be like, okay, who's getting – who's going to start game one? Who's going to start game two? And it was great to match up, you know, one one team to the other. And that was always, you know, that was to me that the highlight of the playoffs was the matchups of the great. Well, it wasn't even that long ago. I mean, I remember (laughs) I'm in my mid 30s and I remember when it was Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Andy Pettit, Greg Maddox. You just booked it. These guys were going six to eight innings. Yeah. And, you know, with the openers and, you know, all yeah. that stuff going on, it's, I, I just don't know where, where starting pitching is going. And is there even going to be such a thing as starting pitchers? I mean, who's going to pay 30 million bucks for a starting pitcher to go a couple innings? It's true. Yeah. I mean, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't make sense financially either. I mean, and um, I, I, you know, I, um, 
there used to be a, a guy that I knew that uh, was in baseball his whole life. And they spent most of it in the minor league system as, you know, working in the, with the teams in not so much on the field, but working in the clubhouse and so forth. And, uh, you know, he passed away last year, but, you know, he used to, I talked to him all the time and he was always telling me how baseball is dead and how it's changed. It's not like baseball was. And he always compared it to the fifties and the sixties and even into the seventies and, Baseball is so much different. It's changed so much. And, you know, there's so much about baseball that I love, but there's so much about baseball now that, you know, I really dislike. I'm not a fan of the shifts. I'm not a fan of how the starting pitchers are being used. Um, and, you know, I'm part of Sabre. I'm into the numbers too, but baseball isn't all about numbers as far as managing you know, the, the manager. If it, should, if it was all about numbers, then, you know, you could, we could do it. If it was all right. about numbers. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, and I kind of think that's what the twins, twins have now in Rocco Baldelli is just a robot that sits there that the front office tells him what he should be doing. And, and he does it. I don't think the guy's a manager. And um, I think there's, Unfortunately, a, a number of managers that that way mm -hmm. and more going in that direction. That's why I was, although I'm not a Buck Show, Showalter super fan, I'm glad to see him get that job, and I think he's the perfect guy for that team. Yeah, I think with the culture change that's needed with that clubhouse, I think he he's going to be, if not him, then who? Who's yep. gonna write that ship? And so it'll be interesting. Um, for me, another old school to get back to the White Sox. Another old yep. school pick, shortstop. I picked Luke Appian. I mean, you want to talk about a contact first? I believe seven-time All Star, two-time batting title, top ten MVP voting, uh, like four or five years at shortstop with the White Sox. Played his whole 20-year career with the White Sox. Uh, ended up batting 310 as a shortstop. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. There was uh, one year he finished second in the MVP voting. And, uh, well, he finished second with Lou Gehrig, so it's no no shame. But he batted 388. He had 25 strikeouts on the year. You can't, you can't go wrong with Appling. But, you know, they have... Two Hall of Fame shortstops also, like yes, they do yeah. catcher. Yep. You also, I mean, you have Luis Aparicio. Yeah. Also, honorable mention George Davis and Ozzie Guillen, but it's Aparicio and Athlete. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Those are the top two for sure. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting how some teams get known for at certain positions. And, Having yeah, two, it is. having two Hall of Famers is, you know, pretty good problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any memories of Appalachia playing? I, I do. Uh, you know, just uh, 
just followed him, you know, from a distance when right. when he played against the Twins, uh, you know, and with with um, Baltimore. Okay. And then third base. Um, for me, I wrote down. Uh, I write down Robin Ventura, but I. To be honest with you, I did not go deep into the White Sox third baseman for historical. Uh, I'm sure there are other names out there that you guys can enlighten me on. That's right. I had, <laughs> I had Ventura also. Okay, good. I was just I was just checking. I I saw Ventura's name and looked up his numbers and just reiterated that I picked him, but I I didn't know if there was other. I'm sure there are other names in White Sox history, but yeah, there are. But uh, I, I don't know if um, Ventura may be the best of the bunch. Yeah, he was. Um, he was a good hitter. He was underrated fielder. Um, yeah, outfield is where it gets difficult, or at least for me, it got difficult. Um, uh, again, I went and tried to make it a little easier on myself. I didn't do left, center, and right. I just did three outfield spots. Um, be interested. I'll let you guys go first. Yeah, John. Oh, you want me to go first? Well, yeah. you have to, you know, you have to go with the, the Hall of Famer, uh, Minoso, I guess. Yeah. You know, I would have him on my team. Um, I would have Shoeless Joe Jackson. Yeah. And another guy that I like from a more modern era, I guess, was uh, Maglio Ordonez. Mm. He's he's a guy that with Canerco, he didn't he kind of went under under the radar a little bit, Maglio yeah. Ordonez for his career. Yeah. I remember the big thing bringing it back to the, my Red Sox was that three team proposed trade. It would have been Manny Ramirez, Maglio Ordonez, and Alex Rodriguez. Talking about three of that era's all-time hitters. Um, that trade would have, needless to say, that would have significantly changed probably the history of our show, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if that trade went down. But uh, another name, I'm not sure if he played in Chicago long enough, Harold Baines. Oh yeah, I put him in. I'm. I should have put him at DH instead of Frank Thomas, but then I would have had to leave off Canerco. And right, that's stop. why I did that. I, yeah, I had Shoeless Joe, Minnie Minosa, and Harold Baines, and then I guess Maglio was my. It's pretty good, a fourth outfielder to have. Yeah, that's. I'm sorry. That, that was, yeah, that was my sorry for making this noise here. No, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, no, it's okay. Yeah, um, he still played 14 years with the White Sox, Harold Bain. Yeah. I mean, he just he just lasted for a long time. He played all the way till he was 42 with the White Sox. Actually, you know, he was he was on the White Sox to start, and then he got traded and moved on, kind of bounced around a little bit. But then he came back and played with the White Sox the last couple of seasons. But yeah, he's up there with you know 14 years game, um, 14 years. So. I had him, and like you said, with the Kernoko, I wanted Kernoko in there because I, I, 
at first I thought Harold Baines DH, obviously, but um, then you would take out Konerko. So I had to get him in there and put Baines at the other outfield position. But like you said, um, Magulo Adornes was a very good ball player too for them. Yeah. I think he only played about eight years with them. Not only, but, you know, compared to some of these other guys. Right, right. He was there from, what, 97 to 2004? Yeah. Five years, seven years. Yeah. And then he helped uh, the Tigers get to the World Series, didn't he? Was he on that team? Yeah. I think he was, yes. Yeah, Yeah. one and the same. And the biggest name that we already mentioned that I want to talk about real quick is Shoeless Joe. Yeah. Um, He only, I mean, obviously his career ended in 1920. So he was another guy that started off at the age of 20. And obviously he's out of the league by the age of 32. But he had had years there where you can make a case for he's one of, and this is previewing the next team, Cleveland's all-time players because I know he's known for the White Sox, but he had four straight years of top nine MVP finishes. Hmm. And he had his, for a guy that's not a power hitter, talking about numbers, his OPS was over a thousand for some of those years. At four straight, it was over a thousand. I mean, the doubles and triples that he had. And he's a guy that his stats don't look great other than obviously, I mean, his batting average is incredible. He's a career 356 hitter, but his power numbers don't, you know, you know, but it was interesting. Just one more thing about Shoeless Joe. He had 40, he had 12 out of his 54 career home runs in his final year. So his final year, when he was 32, he was really, I mean, he was already a great player, but he, his final year, he had, he had 12 home runs, 20 triples, 42 doubles, and 14 strikeouts. <laughs> and the 382 batting average. Yeah. Oh, by the way. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's something that we'll never see. Uh, you know, your last, your final season, you had that kind of season. Can you imagine? Tell me a guy that would have the same number of home runs as strikeouts in a full year nowadays. It's nowadays none. (laughs) 14 strikeouts is a week for some of these guys, not even. Yeah. It's um it's incredible. I just among many things about baseball that makes it great. I just wish I saw some of these guys play. I mean, we're we're going down these all-time names. Imagine getting to see Shoeless Joe against up, up at bat against Walter Johnson. Mm. With Ty Cobb. I yeah, was. we'll get into him in a little bit. And then this leaves us with a uh, pitcher for the White Sox. I went with a guy that I admittedly do not know much about, which is Red Favor. Yeah, that's – I had Faber and I had a guy named Ted Lyons. Okay. Um, two guys, like you said, I I don't know anything about them, so – but they were one and two at total wins for them. Lyons was 260, Red Faber was 254. Yeah. And nobody was 
within 50 or 60 of them. So. And Red Faber, <laughs> some stats. I, I know I was going deep in the stats before, but he, this can't be right. I was looking at this. I looked at this at least three times. Strikeouts per nine innings, 3.2. How is that? You're never going to see that again with a 250-game winner. Definitely not. It's incredible. I didn't didn't go with any of the the really older guys. I I ended up going with Wilbur Wood. Okay. Yeah, he Um, was the guy that was on the honorable mention. If it was a – if it was a five-man rotation, I would have put him, definitely. Uh, you know, I just found him so interesting. You know, he's a knuckleballer like he was. Um, I mean, sometimes he'd start both ends of a doubleheader. That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. You know, and um, he was uh, – He, I thought he wasn't – I guess when you look at the numbers, um, maybe the the greatest pitcher, but still in war, he was he's like what what fourth in there. Yeah, he's got a fifty for his career. Yeah, he actually started out with the Red Sox. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, I just you know I, I I'd seen him pitch. I just thought he was interesting. He pit, he started, he relieved, he did it all. And to your point, in the early 70s, he had three straight years of top five Cy Young finishes. Two years where he got MVP votes in the top 10. I mean, some of the innings pitched for him. He had three years combined there where those three years in the early 70s, he had over a thousand innings in three years. I mean, like you said, both games of a doubleheader is incredible. Pitchers uh, retire nowadays. Uh, yeah, a thousand is rare. Don't get that many. Yeah. <laughs> so, what team do we want to go with? We got three left. We want to go, I guess, the Tigers. Well, who who do you want the manager? Real oh, fair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I was forgetting something. Um, the manager for me, it was. It's interesting. I picked Al Lopez. I I didn't think to pick managers for these teams, but uh, I would go with Al Lopez just because I guess I had read the most about him and was you know a little bit familiar with with his managing. Yeah, he never had. I don't think he ever had a losing record in a full year as a manager. So yeah, his career percentage is five sixty four. Yeah. So there were a couple ways you can go with manager. Um, I just went with the consistency. Yeah, I, I just picked uh, Isaac Gein just because he won the World Series there. True. That was just my, you know, but Lopez had the more wins and definitely higher winning percentage as well. So, um, and then Jimmy Dukes was their number one winning manager, but okay. uh, he was below 500 for his career. So, yeah, but, uh, it's. Uh, and then um, I guess we go to the Tigers, another team with a great history. Yeah, um, this is big names here. 
yeah, some of these positions are uh, good luck. But uh, catcher, I went with Bill Freehand. I mean, it, most of the 60s, even into the 70s, five gold gloves, 11-time All-Star, uh, second in the MVP in 68, third in 67. Uh, that's, to me, he jumped out. Another honorable mention for me was Lance Parrish, but um, to me, it was Bill Freehand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's who I had. Yep. Okay. That's who I had, too. <laughs> yeah, some of these positions are – I. I hate to snub other guys, but it's just like this next position, first base with the Tigers. Um, I, I don't, I, I think we're all in agreement. I'm assuming Hank Greenberg. Yeah, yeah, yep. he, um, he put up some incredible numbers, uh, and also his home run was the winning. Um, home run in the 45 pennant. You know, obviously Hall of Famer, two-time MVP. He actually had three stints with the Tigers because he came up in 30 and then his major run with them was 33 through 41. Did he lose time because of the war? Because it shows that he came back in 45. So I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Probably. I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. yeah, it does say he had three years of uh, military service. Wow. 42 um, to 44. He's a guy from the Bronx, James Monroe High School. Hmm. He was in the um, uh, Air Force. US, okay, yeah. U.S. Army Air Forces. Excuse me. And that's incredible because he was MVP two years before he left. And then Right when he came back, he had he he had MVP votes. So he missed age thirty one through thirty three. So he missed the prime of his quarter, and he still hit. And that did you see that? Look at the last season he played for Detroit because he played his last year in Pittsburgh, but his yeah. last year in Detroit, forty four homers, one hundred twenty seven RBIs, two seventy seven yeah. average. I mean, he missed out on easily 100 home runs in those three years. Mm -hmm. Another 400 RBIs, probably. I mean, he would have he would have been a guy closing in on 500 career home runs. Yep. Back then. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Incredible. Um, second base to me was a guy that played, I think, in overlapped with Hank Greenberg. Um, for me, it was Charlie Geringer, another Hall of Famer, 1937. He won the batting title and the MVP award, and Hank Greenberg finished third. Um, just a great 2,800 hits, great doubles hitter. Um, if you want to look up uh, – Interesting things on baseball reference. The 1937 AL MVP voting is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Charlie Garander won. Joe DiMaggio, two. Hank Greenberg with 184 RBIs, third. <laughs> Luke Carrig, fourth. Crazy. Bill Dickey, fifth. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, wrote him. I wrote him. Catcher in batting three thirty two was fifth. Yeah, I just wrote him and Whitaker down. Whitaker had just about the same, a little yep. bit more amount of games, but he's right there. But yeah, Geringer's probably the better player. But just I just remember Whitaker. You know, I remember watching him play, and I was like, I got to put him in there as well. So, yeah. and I look. Looked at it the same way. Geringer is probably the better player. Um, Whitaker, I got to watch a lot. He was, he and Trammell were so much fun to watch as, as those infielders. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, uh, and, you know, the one big thing, difference between Whitaker and, and Geringer is, you know, their strikeouts. I mean, Whitaker had over a thousand, whereas Geringer had under 400. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, contact and not just. I mean, I feel like to get back to the football reference, I feel like when we say game manager for a football quarterback is the same as saying contact hitter in baseball, it shouldn't be a bad thing. No, (laughs) yeah, you know, I mean, not striking out and putting the ball in play and getting on base is key, but you know, when when some people say contact hitter. Some fans think that's almost like a, oh, well, he didn't have much power. He was just a weak contact hitter. But it's, you know, if you're getting on base, you're getting on base. And you know what? And Whitaker wasn't really a big strikeout guy either. I think he, looking at his stats, he only went over 100 once in his career in, in a season. So he wasn't a horrible strikeout guy. But compared to Geringer, like you said, it's almost, you know, more than double the amount yeah you know different errors but but uh yeah um i had to put him in there too so and then and then there was shortstop and to me i picked alan trammell yeah you gotta go trammell here i think it's interesting yeah it's interesting he only he only had one year of over 100 rbis but he was the model of to me, consistency as far as getting on base at a clip uh, for his career through 52 at that position, that's incredible. 285 hitter, hit 307 times. Excellent defender as well. Yeah, four gold gloves, could have won a couple more probably. Um, I think he lost out on – well, the second half of his career, he was losing out to probably Omar Vizquel yeah. in the 90s. And then the 80s, you had, what, Cal Ripken? Yeah. Yeah. And him. <laughs> that yeah, was a, quite a duo, him and uh, Whitaker. Yep. Yeah, and, and Trammell was always being compared to Ripken, it seemed like. It, it was always just those two guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was there for 20 years. So it's hard to like when I think of the shortstops, like and he was there for 20 years. Now, from that point to now, I can't really think of many good shortstops that they had. Um, no, I mean, no one near this. No. No. So <laughs> no. Yeah. So that's why I was like, all right, it's definitely trying. <laughs> yeah. Third base is an interesting one. You could go with I put Cabrera's DH. Yeah, me too. I, 
some some websites list Cabrera as the third baseman here, but I didn't. I I I kind of cheated and went with two. I picked Travis Fryman or George Kell. Yeah, I had Kell. Okay. John, did you, um, you agree? Or? Looking on my list here, who I had, and I went with Kell also. Okay. Yeah, he he was a good player. Three hundred six. I mean, both were, but, uh, Yeah, I think George. Yeah, I think he gets the gets the nod. Yeah, I don't know if yep. Fryman played that many games there, right? What was right. Yeah, he's twenty seventh in well, games played for them. Yeah. Um, Cal was mostly what forties and fifties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, late forties, early fifties. Yeah. yeah, what what was interesting is he only—I mean, he played the most years out of his career with Detroit. He played seven years with them. Another guy, three twenty-five average, bunch of All Stars. Um. In the late 40s and early 50s, a bunch of down ballot MVP votes too. I mean, he had he had that one year in 1950 where he had 56 doubles, 340 average. I mean, yeah, a lot of not a not a power hitter by any stretch of the imagination, but just uh, I'm not sure how he was defensively, but. A really good hitter. Really good hitter. And then the, <laughs> this this is really tough. I know on last episode we had talked about the Yankees outfield being tough. <laughs> Tigers are right up there. Yeah. <laughs> Breakthrough on this three. Um, right off the bat, I had Ty Cobb and Al Kaline as my two. Yeah. yeah. That's easy. <laughs> Those were easy choices. You don't even have to yeah. look them up. <laughs> um, the third one, I went with Harry Heilman. Hall of Famer, four batting titles, drove in 100 runs eight times, career 342 average. Um, what, who did you guys go with? Yeah. I ended up I ended up going with Sam Crawford. Okay. He was my fourth guy. By no means is that a slouch. Yeah, it's it mm-hmm. could go any number of ways there. Yeah, either one works. <laughs> either one yep. definitely felt. I, I did the same thing. I, I just went with Hel- Helman, but um, yeah, Crawford, you could put right up there as well. I don't remember any of these guys because I was born in the 80s. So, but no. Ty Cobb to me, one of my favorite all time players. Um, off the field aside, I remember, I remember watching that movie about him with um, who was Tommy Lee Jones, and famously said, you know, they interviewed him when he was older, Ty Cobb, and said, you know, what would you, how would you bat against players nowadays, against pitchers nowadays? He said, I think he said, like, I could bat about two seventy. So 270 for a career, you know, uh, 367 career average. And he said, yeah, but I'm also in my 60s now. He was, you know, he was serious, probably. He was was dead serious. I mean, Triple Crown in 1909, 
MVP in 1911. He had 400 three times. I mean, 12 batting titles. But, you know, a lot of that of his off-the-field stuff was kind of debunked now, right? Yes, yeah. A lot of um, a lot of that movie, as great as it was, was debunked. Um, but if you look on his uh, baseball reference page, and I think baseball reference should be the official sponsor of our show. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, there is a lot of bold and italicized numbers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In his early 20s, especially. Yeah. I mean, 350, 324, 370, 419, 409. I mean, he quit in disgust. He retired in disgust, supposedly, at the age of 41 after he batted 323. It's incredible. Yeah, is, that's one of the greatest of all time. You know, easily. <laughs> no argument there. And have you guys been to Comerica Park? I've never been to the old Detroit Stadium, but I've been to Comerica. No. And it was a great I've been the way to- they do it in the outfield with um, a couple of the statues and kind of bringing the old, old historical stuff into the present day and keeping it up it was pretty impressive. It is been there i've also uh i didn't mention at the time i've been to the new minnesota stadium or the newer stadium uh it's a great experience good good minnesota's minnesota's pretty nice ballpark target field's pretty nice it's it's small but it's um intimate it's a nice ballpark especially after we had the the metrodome for so many years yeah. I'm still yeah, surprised they didn't put a dome on that one, the new one, or some kind of retractable dome. Retractable, maybe. I, I thought they were going to do what Seattle did, maybe. Yeah. Just, there just isn't room there, is the is gist of it, I guess. What we, what, at least that's what everybody's been told. They couldn't come up with a way to do it. Okay. Uh, another outfielder that I don't remember, but I wanted to give honorable mention to was Bobby Beach, along with when we mentioned Sam Crawford, and and on other teams, Sam Crawford would be a no doubter. So he's a mm-hmm. career three hundred nine hitter. I mean, so there are some there's some great names that we had to leave off of the Tigers sure. all time team. Um, which is unfortunate, but DH, I went with Miguel Cabrera. I don't, yeah, me I don't, too. I think that was the yeah. easy one, too. He yeah. uh, was it first triple crown in almost 50 years when he won it. Yep, he's a future um, time batting champ, back to back MVPs, seven times silver slugger. Yep, the tough one yep. for me is the manager. Because with a at first look, it was tough because with a franchise like the Tigers, you can go in any number of ways. I ended up going with Sparky Anderson. But yeah, that's who I went with. You know, he's okay. got the World Series, right? Yep. Yeah. So, I, like I said, I didn't pick any. So Okay. Okay. Um I, I think Sparky's you know, the way to go. 
Yeah. He's a Hall of Famer. He was the first manager to win the World Series in both leagues. Yeah, if you if you yeah. compared him to, to to Leland, you know, if that was the other guy you're thinking of, yes, Leland's got half his wins. Yeah. So that's why I, I and Sparky's got the most years, most wins okay. in Detroit history. So Seventeen that's why years, yeah. Pretty easy, you know. Both pretty good managers, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Both similar in the um, just old school, no nonsense type of guys, but they had personality too. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. Just going back to uh, Miguel Cabrera as the DH, he's, um, you know, I've often thought that he might be the best hitter I've, I've seen in my lifetime. Wow. Wow. That's. I, the, you know, he's not that kind of hitter now, obviously, but right. as he, during his glory years, the man was incredible. I mean, he just delivered time after time after time. He was. His prime is right up there with anybody, to your point. He kind of matches, he molds uh, power with contact. Mm-hmm. In a way that, uh, to your point, other people really didn't or haven't. Uh, to me, the greatest hitter I've ever seen is probably either Tony Gwynn or Wade Boggs, but Cabrera's right up there. Yeah, Gwynn for me too, but I don't think anybody matched this, you know, with the batting average and the power. That's so to John's point that, yeah, I mean, Cabrera, yeah. Cabrera's. Prime. I mean, it's a it's a shame that he's like a shell of who he used to be at the end. Yeah, but, yeah. I, you know, I, for me, I like to see players like that retire before they they're kind of you know embarrassed and. Uh, it's you know, tough because then, like, you look at guys and you say at the end of their careers, "Oh well, he didn't reach that milestone." Yeah, and then. You know, so I want him to reach his milestones and hit a certain number of home runs. But, yeah, he's just not the same player he was. Yeah, his last, like, five years have been, you know. Which just shows you how great his first right. few years <laughs> were. I mean, yeah, even to that. going back to when he was with the Marlins. Yeah. You know, when, and he started out, what, at, at third base? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and, that goes back he, to the quick hands and quick feet and everything that made him a good hitter was what brought him up as a fielder. And late later in his career, he even went back and played a little third base for the Tigers for a year or two, didn't he? He was um, yeah, he not played too long. a little bit there. He played first base and then just all DH pretty much. He but, played outfield I mean, a little bit with the Marlins too. But okay, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, what else can you say about him? He's a he's a great hitter and be first ballot Hall of Famer. Yep, no doubt. Yep, gotta be. And then we have the Cleveland. I guess well, we still you, call them the Indians because we're doing a historical show, but the Guardians the for Detroit. Guardian. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I had Hal Newhauser. That's who I had too. Statistically. Maybe with stuff, just pure stuff, Justin Verlander, get a mention here. Yeah, I wasn't even – there's a couple of other guys, but 
New yeah, I didn't I mean, realize Jack that. Morris. Yeah, Morris too. I thought. Um, but my all-time is... favorite was uh, the Bird Fidrick. Yeah, but he only played a couple. Yeah, of games. no, but it, I just yeah, I just mm-hmm. love what he brought to the game. But Newhouser, I was reading, he was the first ever uh, back-to-back MVP award winners for a pitcher, yeah. and his third year, they said he he came close to winning it, but. The third year was the year Ted Williams won it. Wow. So he could have had three in a row. That's how good he was. Wow. But, um, yeah. Morris, I thought Morris too, but um, when I looked at Newhouser, I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe Newhouser. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I still still like Verlander. Yeah, he was... He was. It's just such a shame that he was on some he was on a couple of good teams with Detroit, but there were some years, I think, that uh, I remember going to a game. I remember actually seeing Tigers the year that they set the record for uh, worst season. He wasn't on the team, but I, for some reason, I always, I always think of, because there's a couple of years there. There was one year that stood out to me. It was in 2000 maybe eight or nine where he led the league in losses, but he still pitched over 200 innings. And it was sandwiched right in between a couple all-star game appearances right before he won the Cy Young and the MVP. Hmm. It's just, it. I mean, even some of his great, great years, he still had, still had some years where at the end with Detroit, where he went like 13, 12. And it's just, it's, I just wish he was able to take what he did in 2011. I guess what I'm trying to say is with the rest of his team and just, you know, because yeah. he, he has a career, his career winning percentage in Detroit is almost 62%, but it could have been even higher with the stuff he had. Yeah, they had some pretty bad teams, though. Yeah. Yeah, for a while they were bad. (laughs) I mean, he was probably the close in his prime. He's the closest thing to a Clemens, Nolan Ryan type of intimidating, just get the ball and just fastball. And they obviously had more than a fastball, but he still had the curveball and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. I would say now it's probably Garrett Cole in that fashion. That type of yeah. just intimidating fastball, just get the ball. And, and he was one of those, not rare, but rare guys that uh, first round, number two overall, and he came up with that team. So, and they showed some, uh, he did win rookie of the year and he did get off to a decent start, but. I remember his first year when he first came up, they showed a little patience because to John's point, it was not a good team. When he came up, yeah, he, he, uh, he wasn't, he kind of molded himself into a pitcher. He started out as a thrower. Yeah, I think you're right. He was, he's a big guy though. Yeah. You don't realize he's, they list him at 6'5", 235, and he might be even bigger now as far yeah. as weight, but, I never, I never pictured him as that big of a guy. 
Yeah, you don't. But I guess we're on to Cleveland. And right. Cleveland, we were saying off the air right before we got on, is a is a strange mix of old, like 40s type of players, and then the 90s reincarnation of that, that team that could have been, that should have, in my opinion, won something, you know? Yeah, definitely. They had some really good teams in the 90s, but they just yeah. they just couldn't get it done. No. And we start with uh, start with catcher. And um, what do you guys think? Um, I had two guys listed. I had uh, Jim Hagan and Sandy Al- uh, Alimar. Alimar. Yeah, I had Sandy Alomar. He's a just what he meant to that team. Uh, I think. I think. The way he played defense, he won the AL Rookie of the Year and the Gold Glove in 1990. Like you said, Chris, it's a good way to measure how good the guy is. It's obviously all-star games. A lot of times, if you're like parsing through numbers, and he went to six all-star games, and he even won the MVP in 97, if you remember, when the game was in Cleveland. Um. He's, he was just a – I wouldn't say he was, you know, he's not like a Hall of Fame catcher, but he's a very good catcher. Yeah, he, I think he had uh, he had injury issues too for most of yeah. his career. Yeah. I think that's what he's held still, him back from being – He's still almost like a 280 career hitter. And the one thing he's always going to be known for is yeah. being one of only two players to hit a home run off of Mariano Rivera in the, uh, in the playoffs, so – That one hurt too when he did it. That was the first one, <laughs> but uh, but he's only one of only two, so which is pretty amazing. But, yeah, you could count them on your hand there. But uh, yeah, he was. I, I he definitely would have been. He could have been the best catcher for the Indians. But uh, Jim Hagan, just I think he was there fourteen years or fifteen years. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just it was too different. I had to I had to put him down. Yeah. Yep. And then another guy who list, is listed as a catcher on the honorable mention that as far as just a sweet left-handed swing, I know he wasn't much of a defensive catcher, was Victor Martinez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, looked at him too and, and thought, about, thought about him. Uh, you know, he's He's right, you know, his war is better than uh, Alomar's. Yep. yep. He, he was a good hitter. Yeah. Um, but like you say, sure. his catching wasn't the greatest. Yeah, left a little to be desired. Yeah. And his, I don't think his arm was that great at all. I mean, but his bat definitely got him to the league and had him stick around for a while. Um, first base, I, I went with the easy selection. I went with Jim Tony. Yeah, me too. Yep. Um, that was an easy one, I thought. <laughs> he started out, he wasn't that bad at third base either. No, no, he wasn't. He was, he was a guy that, and this is, this is where I defer to you, John, 
but as far as a historical comparison, maybe different swings, obviously, because he's a lefty, but he reminds me of Killebrew a lot in that he's country strong, yeah, just, yeah. just a big power hitter. Yep. Quiet. Yep. Personality and just went about his business. And um, yeah, I, I think that's a good comparison. He's a guy like every team would want, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Ends up hitting what? Five, 600 home runs for his career. Yep. So yeah, yep. that's an easy one. And, uh, there. Yeah. Uh, uh, for me, a tough one after looking through the numbers was second base. You, I, I could have went with two here, but um, be interested to what you guys, what you guys pick. If you went old school, newer, yeah, I went. Have, I, I went old school. I went with uh, Nap Lejoy. Yeah. Yep. Hall of Famer, triple crown, three-time batting title. So that's who I went with. It's interesting. Yeah. He um, is another guy with a lot of bold and italicized numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't think anybody else came close. So that's why I was like, I got to go with him. Yeah, I just wanted to mention Bobby Alomar just because of what he meant to those '90s teams. But yeah, when, when you dig into the numbers, what Knapp did in his 13 years in Cleveland, 3.39 career average in Cleveland. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think of Alomar more of the Blue Jay. That's true. Indian, you know. I just wonder where some of these guys, where, how it all clicked. Um, Cause I'm looking at Nap stats and he started off in 1896. <laughs> so he is old school, but one year in 1901, he hit 14 home runs and for the rest of his career, he never hit more than nine. Mm. So where that power came from that one, you know what I mean? Cause 14 home runs in 1901 is a lot. That's a lot of home runs, yeah. Yeah, for back then. He had had extra base hits. He almost had 100 extra base hits. He had 48 doubles, 14 triples, 14 home runs. And it's just, you see the rest of the year, it's nothing to sneeze at. He's a great hitter, but he wasn't a power guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall or a fan in the outfield in the bleachers in 1901. Maybe they were inside the park home runs. That's true. You know, that's a possibility. Yeah. Yep. And then you got another interesting pick here, shortstop. Yeah. I went with Lou Boudreau, Mm -hmm. but a huge honorable mention to Omar Pascal. Yeah. That's who I went with, but yeah, Boudreau is up there too, obviously. (laughs) Hall of Famer. And he also managed the team. And he went to the Red Sox, too, towards the end. Look at that. Yep. <laughs> and I like Boudreaux, too, but on the other hand, um, you know, that Vizquel was a heck of a fielder. Man. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, he would make those barehanded plays. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of another guy other than Ozzie Smith. 
you know what? Out of those two, those are the two guys shortstop wise. Um, another guy you could talk about, but he wasn't anywhere near these guys was just incredible field. It was Ordonez for the Mets. He doesn't yeah. get enough credit, but I mean, cause he couldn't. And a guy you know, nowadays in Jolton Simmons who John, yeah. you've seen with the twins. I don't think next to these guys though. No, uh, no, but I, very good. He though. has the hardware and I still think he's underrated. Defensively, you know, watch Simmons play, you know, all year long for the Twins, and and he missed a number of games, but he's getting up there in age. But the guy can do some things at shortstop that are amazing, you know, that that I hadn't ever seen before. He is a heck of a shortstop, and yet. You know, Twins fans really disliked him because he just was, he just had an off year of hitting, even for him. Yeah. But, uh, the, you know, you know, there's talk, I'm hearing that the Yankees might go that route. And I don't know if they will or not. But, you know, if they're, they just need a one year fill in waiting for one of their young guys to come up. And I don't think they could go wrong with him. He's the yeah. type of guy if you can if you can pencil him in for like two twenty five or two thirty, and just a little of the occasional you know double or home run, his defense plays no matter where he is. Yep, he would he would think so, and you know, and that the Twins got their own issues at shortstop. So yeah, third base. Third. I um. I did not see this guy play, but uh, Ken Keltner was my choice. Six-time All-Star. Uh, in 1948, he had 31 home runs and 119 RBIs. So I think his numbers combined with what team he did it on, uh, as far as um, – those powerhouse teams in the forties, I'd have to give it to him. But another guy you could throw in there was Al Rosen. He put up some yeah. numbers for them. Yeah, I actually like the guy they have now, Ramirez. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a very good ball player. If he sticks with them, I think his career numbers. But they always talk about trading him. Yeah, yeah, and, and I. Could, I, I we talked about it last episode. I don't understand what Cleveland's doing as far as their money situation. Yeah, I think they have the lowest payroll right now. Yeah. Going to this year, they'll have the lowest payroll. Well, I think it's ownership. I think they're in between ownership. And so I think that's once that straightens out, hopefully they'll start spending money again because, you know, they got a nice stadium. And in that division, it's kind of wide open. You know, I know the White Sox are obviously the favorites, but other than that, you know, somebody else could e- easily step in and be the second best in that division. So, absolutely, especially Cleveland, spend some money. They got they got some decent pitching now. You know, they could definitely yeah. uh, do something there. But and they keep producing pitching. I don't know how they do it. But... Right, <laughs> it's true. It's just a shame that they're they're almost wasting this young pitching on. A team that's financially not competitive. But 
And then with the outfield, you could go in, like I said, many different ways. Um, I think for me, I, I listed a couple of names, but for me, I'd have to go with Trip Speaker, Larry Doby. Mm-hmm. And the third one, I'm going to give a nod to Kenny Lofton. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it's a just a close call between him and Averill. Yes. Yeah. But um, Lofton was was fun to watch, and he was uh, a good hitter besides. So. And he's a guy he I always should have got more Hall of Fame discussion. Yes. So like he should have stayed on the ballot. I agree. Yeah. I think he was just he was he was a great player. It's just it was a shame that he played in the era he played in as far as uh, making all star teams and stuff because in the nineties he made one he made six, which is nothing to sneeze at. But <laughs> when you look when you look up outfielders in the American League in the nineties. He, he doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think. No, I mean, he's four-time gold glover, six-time all-star. The problem is, like you said, the era he played in was the steroid era. So all the home run numbers. So when you look at him, you know, you look at his numbers, you're like, oh, he's nowhere near everybody else. But you got to look at stolen bases. You got to look at what kind of defender he was. Lead-off yep. hitter for a great offensive team. Um so, yeah, I, he's very underrated, underappreciated, more like. He had, he had, what, 452 stolen bases? With Cleveland, yeah. Just yeah. in 10 years. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. He had, Especially I mean, in, his, in this time frame. Yeah, his peak from 92 to right before he left. But 92 to 96, he had. 66, 70, 60, 54, 75 stolen bases. Again, those are numbers we, I don't know if we'll see again, you know, with stolen bases. I don't think you're going to see a guy combine stolen bases with caught stealing, uh, attempting what, 80 to 90 a year? I don't think you can see that again. No, definitely not. Well, that and the fact that baseball is all about the home run now. Yeah. It's true. I mean, nowadays it's, you know, you lead off or you're top of the order guys. Yeah. Their thinking is why risk getting a stolen base when our two and three and four hitters can come up and hit you in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's I'm, another change in baseball. Yep. It's a bad thing. And other guys that deserve a little mention, I think, with Cleveland is a, a guy that off the field was horrible, but Albert Bell. He, oh. he, yeah. I'm convinced he's another guy that could just wake up 20 minutes before a baseball game and drive in, get two hits and drive in a run. <laughs> I mean, the guy was an RBI machine. He's another one that's, you know, his career was shortened, but the career that he had was just amazing. I mean, he just had the numbers he put up in Cleveland. And then even his last year with Baltimore, he still drove in 100 RBIs. He was only 33. I think he had a back. I think he had a back issue. Hip. Hip. 
which makes it even more impressive. I mean, he yeah. was he was my pick for DH. So okay, I'll just say that. <laughs> okay, um, for DH, I put Averill at DH, okay. even though he was uh, primarily known as a center fielder. Three twenty-two in eleven years with Cleveland. Um, had some good power years too. I mean, he was hitting. In the early 30s, he was hitting 32 home runs. So he combined yeah, no, average yeah, yeah. with home runs. Okay, but, so uh, nobody, nobody, nobody's mentioned Manny Ramirez? Manny Ramirez, yep. Yeah, he's another one. I, I wrote him down, slash DH, Albert Bell and Manny. So, yeah, he's definitely up there as well. Yeah, he's he was a pretty darn good hitter too. He, yeah, he, he for me, obviously, I, I love the guy because of what he did in Boston. But it's just a shame with the steroid stuff that because to me, he was the only, not the only other, but one of the few players that when you talk about Miguel Cabrera, you can mm-hmm. mention Manny because Manny was. Similar in that he had a high average and he hit home runs. But yep. you never know how much of that is due to off-the-field stuff, which is a shame because in his prime, he was great. But yep. I think with him, he just tried to hang on too long and tried to extend his career by any means necessary. Yeah, there's a number of players like that, unfortunately. But um, yeah. I don't know. I just, for some reason, I always liked Manny. I, I, I thought, I thought he had character, charisma, whatever. Oh, he was quirky. Yeah. Definitely. Trust me, in Boston, Manny being Manny. Look, Manny being Manny is a, is a funny, great thing, as long as he is focused on hitting, which most of the time he is, to his credit. He, he was... <laughs> He was an artist up there at bat, but in the field, uh, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember that one famous play where he cut off Johnny Damon's throw. Yeah, I remember that one. In the outfield, an outfielder cut off another outfielder's throw. It was it was one of those head-scratching, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, he'll never be known as a good defensive player, that's for sure. No. <laughs> no. Hitting-wise, he was up there, though. But when he was up at bat, I mean, you had to watch. Yeah. He was he's a great hitter. Yep. Yep. And then Albert Bell, you know, the the one episode that I that I remember him for is running over the Milwaukee second baseman. I can't. With oh. uh, Vina. Vina. Yep. Fernando Vina. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He completely just. Yeah. Well, the story I remember about Bell is when he got caught with the cork bat and they the umpire took it and put it in like the clubhouse, like the umpire's clubhouse, like the basically like a room where the umpires get changed. Yeah. And they were going to keep it there until after the game. And he tried to get somebody to go in and steal it back. Yeah, like they wouldn't that. be able to tell. Yeah. Yep. 
I remember that. I maybe we're answering my question of why they didn't win in that era with Bell and Ramirez. <laughs> but there were some great, exciting teams, and those fans showed up in droves. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, they had like a consecutive sold out streak. Yeah, they, when they opened up that new stadium, that was when they opened up the Jake by the Lake, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that place was packed every night. Yep. And that's still not like to get out there. Now. I've never been there. That's yeah, It's pretty good. It's fallen on hard times now because it's gotten older. But, I mean, with the Brown Stadium right there when they came back in the 90s, with them rocking in the 90s, and then the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right downtown by the water, it's a pretty cool – it's got to be close to 30 years old now. Um, Considering that it was, yeah, I feel like it's pretty. I think Baltimore place. was the first one of its type yeah. to be built. And that was in what, 92? Maybe even earlier. Yeah. It was so right the, there. Or 91. So the Jake might be yeah. like 93, 94. Yeah. So it's getting close to 30 years already. Crazy. Yep. <laughs> and, and now they're going to move the left field wall in Baltimore. Yep. Yeah, I guess that's uh, it's cheaper than um, buying pitching. Well, they're trying to attract <laughs> pitching by that by doing that. Yeah, you know, because they can't get a whatever it takes a top pitcher to go there because they know it's like a bandbox. So yeah, they're trying to, you know, entice a maybe they could get a top pitcher to go there. So it's yeah. interesting. It'd be interesting to see how how it plays out. Yep. Yep. And with as far as pitching goes with Cleveland, I want Bob Feller. Yeah, it's not even. I mean, you could go obviously Cy Young, um, Bob Lemon, you know. But these other guys I don't think came close to Feller's numbers with Cleveland. That was a pretty easy one. Yeah. And then manager is interesting. I I just picked Mike Hargrove because I went with the guy that I saw and knew, you know. Um, you could go with the the forty eight team with that manager as well, but yeah, I I, I went with uh, Francona. Oh, that's yeah, he's got the geez, most. Wins I can't believe there. I forgot about it. Yeah, he's got the most wins. So still no championship since what forty eight. Yeah, but hopefully that's. Yeah. And then, you know, last but not least is the Kansas City Royals. Yes. In their own – look, they had some um, – they had they had some some good teams in the late 70s, early 80s, and then even with the Ned Yost that we'll get into, what is it, 2015 champs? Yeah. To me, being a Yankee fan, the Royals were – as big as a rival for us as Boston was. Well, yeah, because you knew Boston was going to blow it. So at least yeah. the Royals had a fighting chance. <laughs> but Kansas City was just like the team that was always, you know, playing against us in the playoffs and or yeah. stopping us from getting to the playoffs. So, but they yeah. were, that was definitely the team growing as a kid that along with Boston was Kansas City was the team I hated the most. So I guess we started catcher. And for me, it's Salvador. Perez. Yeah, me mostly too. Yep. for his arm and his resurging power numbers now. And what he means to that organization right now is the pretty much de facto captain. 
what amazes me about him is that the man plays every day. Yep. Yes. Yep. My kind of he's, guy. Yeah, he's. I he's, catch you. That's a that's a dying he's, like, um, he's a lot like uh, Yadier Molina in that fashion, where he's just yes. he's all the time. You can just count on him. So if you wonder why why there are certain players like that that can go out there and play every single day, and then there's others that uh, need tricky. a couple days off. They always what's the famous saying? Availability is the best ability. Yeah, or dependability is the best ability. And for and for catchers, certain guys, you can't measure that. No, and for that, you don't know until you find out, and then it's too late. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know what? For that team, catcher, other than him, there really wasn't anybody. I mean, John Wathen had some nice years, but there really there really isn't much there at catcher. So that's why Perez was like an easy yeah, easy pick. Yep. 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 Um, first base, we'll go around the infield. Uh, first base, for me, I picked Mike Sweeney. You could go at maybe Eric Hosmer. Because they won the title with him, but Mike Sweeney was a one of the lone bright spots. Yeah, yeah for a while, uh, <laughs> a barren, <laughs> barren era for the Kansas City Royals. I mean, he had he put up some pretty solid numbers. The one year he drove drove in one hundred forty four, and he but, batted three thirty three. Yeah, that's a and he only managed eleventh in the MVP vote that year. <laughs> that's incredible. That shows you how big the team was. Yeah. He was a good definitely a good player. I you know, the second guy I had there would be Mayberry. He was uh, oh that's right. Yeah, he was solid for a while. Yeah. He was very good. That's a good call, yeah. Yeah. Um second base, I didn't know much about the guy that I chose, which isn't a ringing endorsement, but I'm sure he's worthy of it. I went with Frank White. Yeah, he was there a yep. long time. You guys could probably speak to him better. Yeah, he was to me just like with Brett. You know, not as not as great as Brett was, but just the steady presence on that team every year, and just a steady player, just very consistent. Um, you know, good hitter, not a great hitter like Brett, but he was still a very good hitter. Um, but uh, yeah, he just. Just that steady presence there. So that was the guy. Before I looked up numbers and stuff, he was the guy I thought of, and he was it at second. Hmm. He was absolutely. He was he was a nice player. I you know he's not a Hall of Fame player by any means, but he's uh, he fit right in with that team. It just he yeah. was the kind of the glue that held the infield together. I thought. Yep. Yeah, second base is one of those positions that doesn't get as obviously as much love as shortstop. You don't think of them as power hitters like first baseman. Obviously, third base in Kansas City, we can all agree, is George Brett. But the second base, that position in general, to me at least, doesn't get as much respect, recognition. No. As far as turning double plays, just with the shift now, you're playing sometimes in right field. Well, and, just, and we, we talked about it too with the Hall of Famer. How is Jeff Kent not a Hall of Famer? Yeah, at second base. I mean, even I mean, we I, could go down the line. Lou Whitaker. Yeah, I would make a case for even um, 
Um, Chase Utley, you got to start thinking Chase about. Chase Utley, definitely. And and this guy and Frank White had a nice career. Eight time Gold Glove, five time All Star. He was a Silver Slugger. He was the ALCS MVP one year. Okay. You know, he was just a yep. very good player. Yep. And then shortstop, I'll admit the Royals to me did not have a great, great shortstop list. No. <laughs> they had a they had a lot of serviceable or you know either very good glove or very good bat, but not a fully complete right type of player. I went with Alcides Escobar, but look, I'm not going to die on that hill. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'd be interested to see what you guys say. This is a difficult position to pick. I, I, go, ahead. No, go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. We, we probably got the same one, but go ahead. <laughs> I went with Freddie Patek. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, he was um, – Again, he was he was there for a number of years. Uh, Kansas City just hasn't had, like you say, too much luck with short stops or staying too long. Es- Escobar probably stay has played the most, maybe. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think so. But I think they're actually they're tied right now. They're close. But, yeah, Partek and uh, Escobar. They're they're tied with games played. <laughs> 1245 each. I guess I didn't realize that Patek had been there quite that long, but he's, I, I just kind of went over with him just because I, I remember some, some nice plays and he, he seemed to come up with some key hits. I mean, hitting wasn't his forte necessarily, but he, he, he would come up with some big hits now and then. Yep. No, I think the easiest one is third. <laughs> <laughs> he um by the time I remember seeing him play, he was he was still a great hitter. He was still batting at the end of his career. I think his second to last year, he batted 285. His last year he knocked in 19 home runs, 75 RBIs. It's a 40-year-old. So yeah, by the time yeah. I remember seeing him, he was a shell of himself. He wasn't batting 390, but he was a great hitter. Mm-hmm. And was he the, the only one to win a batting title in three different decades? If I'm not Let's mistaken. See. He won in 76, 80, and 90. Yep, you're right. I, I just don't know if he's the only one. I, I oh, think he um, I could be wrong, but I, I remember hearing that. And... Yeah, I don't could know. Be. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's... He, I mean, do you guys have any? I remember one of my first games I ever saw was um, I was spoiled as a little kid. I saw Kansas City at Fenway, so I got to see Wade Boggs against George Brett. That's little nice. did I know it'd be all downhill from there with third baseman. <laughs> I mean, there's really nowhere to go but down after that. George yeah, Brett was. I just, I mean, for me as a Yankee fan, like I said, uh, George Brett was uh, David Ortiz with Boston. You know, <laughs> just the guy that always killed us, always, always beat us at some point, was always a tough out, you know, just a great hitter. And 
he was not a guy that backed down either no. from the Yankee, yeah. you know, and he was he had 200 stolen bases. Yeah. And there was some fights between Kansas City and New York during mm-hmm. uh, during that era. So definitely a fun time. Yep. Yeah, he was then, a super player. He's yeah. He's still, you know, you still when you think of Brett, you think about that bad incident. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he went crazy in that play. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that was that just encapsulated that rivalry, that era with Billy Martin being just knowing to just knowing the umpire and knowing his audience being able to call for that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, like I said, Brett is one of the best hitters of all time, I think. Oh, without a doubt. Yep. The outfield, like I said, you can go back to the era that you guys remember. Or the more recent era, when you go with outfielder or mix, I went with Hal McRae, Alex Gordon, and the third one, it was split between Otis, Wilson, and Kane. I know that's a cop-out, but... Otis, Wilson, and who? Amos Otis, Willie Wilson, and Lorenzo Kane. Oh, Wilson and Otis? Yes. Yeah, um, I would put both of them on my team. There you go with Gordon. Okay. Um, also, I know he wasn't there a lot, but he had some good years with them. Carlos Beltran. Uh, yes, he did. He but was my Otis and Wilson to me kept on coming out. Yeah, I had Otis and Wilson were my top two, and then I Alex Gordon had a really good career for them. He had a lot of gold gloves. Yeah. So I put him as my third. And then I used Beltran as my DH. Okay. I did too. I, um, you know, Kansas City is one of those teams that, you know, has kind of been blessed with good center fielders over the years. Um, yeah. You know, you got Otis and Wilson, and, um, you know, you go down to Beltran and Kane, although he didn't play there that, that long. <laughs> Right. You know, Damon played out there. Yeah. It's funny that the Royals to me, they don't scream, you know, prototypical power hitters, but a lot of nice, really good players that, I mean, Brett is an all time great, but other than that, even at certain positions, it doesn't scream like a guy that perennially hit 40 home runs. But a lot of guys with either gold gloves or a lot of stolen bases or just contact hitters. And, um, underrated franchise. That's yeah, they're, they're big home run hitters. What, Brett, right? Yeah. It's just a shame that some years, it seems like for a couple of years in the 90s and 2000s, they just, it seemed like they mailed it in for a while there. It was just the Royals were just, we're going to go in on the Royals and win, you know, 14 out of 18 if you're in their division. It's just, it's good. Baseball is good when the Royals are, I think, when the Royals are good. They're one of those franchises. Definitely. And then pitcher was tough, too. I went with Granke, but I'm sure there were guys in the 80s like Saber Hagen. um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple. 
I know you can go Quisenberry if you want to go bullpen. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the highest rated war is Kevin Apier. Yeah, he was good too. Yeah, that was he interesting. Was really good. I was not expecting him to come up there. But um, I I just went with the career wins. So I was I put Split Orf and Dennis Leonard just because they had the okay. career wins for them. Apier had a surprisingly long career. I know he was a top pick. Uh, it was number nine overall in '87. He got to the he got to the big leagues two years later. A, a random fact about him: he went to the same high school and college. The name was the same in the same town. Antelope Valley High School and Antelope Valley College. Really? <laughs> I don't know if that was a junior college. That's interesting. But that's just a random. But he he played all. I mean, he pitched right in the steroid era, and he had a sub. He had a sub four ERA for his career. Yeah. Not that yeah, I thought he was go out there and give you innings. I, I, not that I thought he was the best pitcher. For them, uh, you know, I, I didn't put him on my list as the best pitcher, but Quisenberry and John, you you remember too, like he was just unhittable for yep. a good number of years for them. I mean, it, it was just, it was ridiculous how great of a pitcher he was. Yeah, he was, he was just lights out. He was really, really good. You know, uh, an amazing closer. And he didn't have the, the big numbers, like he's only got 238 career saves. But I just remember him like every year, one, I mean, year after year, he was just unhittable. But I think he, he just kind of, you know, he came up a little bit later in his career. And I just think at like 30, what was it, 33, he started to go down. And, and that was yeah. it. And then he died young too, didn't he? Did he die? Uh... How old was he when he died here? He died. He was only 45. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I forgot what it was. Was it a, a brain aneurysm or a... I forgot? Not too sure. But, yeah. you know, if you look at him when he was a closer, I mean, he had, what, one year, 128 innings, another year, 136, 139, Yeah, I was going to mention one. Sometimes not all saves are created equal. It's yeah. uh, multi-inning. I mean, they're all high leverage saves, but he pitched a lot of innings when he was out yep. there. Yeah, you talk about the bold numbers, right? This yeah. that four or five year stretch, he was just yeah, was the best closer. And this was the toughest position for me was manager. When you look at their history, you could go Ned Yost, Dick Hauser, Whitey Herzog. But Herzog, did he have a lot of? He didn't have a lot of years, but what he meant to that team, to that franchise, I think. But I went with Ned Yost. He won it most recently. Yeah, that's what I went to. I like Herzog. I thought he was was a great manager. When I think of him, I always think of the Cardinals more than the Royals. That's true. Right, Herzog? That's why I always thought of, like, when I'd seen his name, I said, oh, I forgot he was a – the Royals manager, but then I was like, I only think of him always. He was an underrated manager. Yeah. 
big time. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to Quiz, you know, he was on the Cy Young voting. He was, he had a second, a second, a th- two threes, and a fifth place finish. Wow. And back then, the views on relievers weren't as favorable as they are now. So that's amazing that he. Yeah. And, you know, even on the MVP voting, he finished third one year, sixth another, eighth another, ninth and 11th. I mean, for a closer. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know how good of a, a weapon that closer really is. You know, when you have a bullpen, a good bullpen, and then obviously the at the back end, the, a good closer, nothing beats that because we've seen so many teams that don't have a good bullpen or a good closer, you know, fall apart at the end or. Yeah. There's, there are countless teams every year. There's a handful of teams that all of us could look back and say they should have been in the playoffs or they should have won more games or they should have won a title if it wasn't for their bullpen. And just think about how many teams sprinkled throughout history are that way where they could have. Yeah. If you put Rivera on the Cleveland Indians in the nineties, right? Maybe they're the, they're definitely the yeah, world late nineties. times, yeah. I mean, you know, small thing, but no, it's you know, if you have that closer, you you shorten the game, everything falls into place. And they have to me, to me <laughs> look that, what the Brewers are doing with their pitching now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, that's why the Yankees were so good for so many years. This Rivera, Mo is the the best I've ever seen. Yeah, you, no question. I think people like he's right, the greatest of all time. You know, closer, but you feel like he didn't get enough credit for all those years because of you know the Jeter, Bernie, Passat, you know, all these other names. Yeah, there's always another guy coming up or free agent signing that grabbed the headlines and. I mean, he was growing up in New York, I couldn't stand Rivera being a Red Sox fan, but I respected him immensely because he was the model of consistency, but he was also great. His consistency wasn't just league average. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was consistent, but he was consistently great, <laughs> which yeah. is a rare combination. Yeah. Yeah, because we talk about all these guys that were just like Quisenberry. He was great for those five or six years. But then after that, you yeah, know, closers nothing. usually fade out. Yeah. Yeah. He was just, he had, think about it. Rivera had 44 saves in his last season at 43 years old. Yeah. That's, I don't know. It's amazing. Yeah. And obviously he does get a lot of credit. I'm not saying he doesn't get any credit at all. Just yeah. me, Yankee fans do. But I think just sometimes you just kind of, you brush it off or you brush it away and, but this guy has just been, like you said, consistently great. Not consistently good, consistently great. And it's uh, it was amazing. Yeah, like 90, what, whatever save percentage is in the 90s. It's just like when I heard that music come on, Enter Sandman. Oh, yeah. I, game as a Red Sox fan, I knew nine and a half out of ten times it was over. I always said yeah. when you heard that song, the next song you heard was New York, New York. Yep, it's going to be over. And yeah, we, as a Twins fan, you hated to see Mo come in because you hated to be behind going in because you knew it was over. 
and you know what? The 96 season was probably his best season he ever pitched. And he was the setup guy. And that mm-hmm. was even better because in 96, it was like the sixth inning. If the Yankees had a lead, the game was yeah. over. Because you had Rivera and then you had Wetland. Yeah. Yep. So. Is there anything you want to add before we uh, close off? Anywhere we can find you on social media, plug and website and whatnot? Well, I'm uh, I'm out on Twitter and also, uh, you know, I have my Twins historical website at twinstrivia.com. I've been doing that since about, um, golly, 2007 or so. So I've been doing that for quite a while, collecting data and uh, putting things out there. Awesome. uh, Good for you. Well, it's great to have you. Stop by and check it out. Yeah, we'll do definitely. We'll uh, plug that, and um, hopefully, you had a good time. You know, going down memory lane, and definitely uh, gave us a lot to think of uh, when it came to the Twins and the rest of the AL Central. And it was uh, it was fun. So you can find us at Talking Rivals. We come out with the show every Monday. We'll uh, put it up on Twitter. We'll uh, tag you. Make sure the Twins fans uh, get some love here on this AL East-focused show. And um, until next time, you can find Chris at CP7NY, and I'm at Patrick Trotty on Twitter. Okay? Take care. Take Take care. care. Bye-bye now.